You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. It is great to see you guys here. Thank you so much for joining us as we continue in this sermon series, uh, The Nativity. We're continuing in the sermon series, The Nativity, where we're talking through the people that you see in the Nativity cast and how they helped usher Jesus into this earth. We know Mary, Joseph, we talked through the shepherds last week. This week we're going to be talking through the wise men. We're going to be highlighting their stories and how they came to worship Jesus, how they came to honor him, and how we can learn from their experience. And we're going to look at their their story today. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen behind me if you do not have a Bible. I'm going to read together. We're going to read 12 verses this morning. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born the king of the Jews? For we saw a star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. And King Herod, when he heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall have come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest right over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense and myrrh. And they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, so they they. returned, departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray before we move any forward. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what's happening in our church. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you. And this morning, God, we just want to push aside any distractions. We want to push aside any obstacles that may have come in our face, anything that's against us this morning. We just want to focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. I had a question. How many of us in the room, do you have any crazy Hollywood, or Hollywood, not Hollywood, but holiday stories? Crazy, like, traveling stories. Do you have any crazy traveling stories in the room? Like, you got stuck on a flight, or, you know, you got stuck in snow, and you couldn't do that. For Abby and I, we have a lot of crazy traveling stories, because for the first part of our life, uh, for the first seven years of our marriage, we lived apart from both of our families, both in Minnesota, with our families living in Iowa and Illinois, and then in Wisconsin, with our families living in the same places, respectively. And so we were constantly having to travel or 
or our families were having to travel to us for all of the Thanksgivings and the Christmases and the Easter's. And so we have a lot of crazy travel stories and, and kind of what happened in these different places. But there's one specific time when we lived in Minnesota that stuck out in my head when I'm thinking about traveling. And one of the times that sticks out is we were coming back from Christmas, and this is when we lived in Minnesota, and mind you, we were missionaries at the time. So to say that we did not have any money would be an understatement, okay? So we were driving back, and we needed to get back because both of us worked two jobs at the time. And so we were getting back to work for the next day. And so we're driving back, and usually I drive uh, just because, I don't know, maybe I have a control issue or whatever, right? Who knows? But usually I drive. And this time I was driving and it was at night. Now Abby doesn't have the greatest night vision. Sorry to put her on blast here in front of everyone at church. But pray for her with that, right? So she, she doesn't like to drive at night. And so I was driving at night. However, there is a dilemma. I have self-diagnosed myself with some form of narcolepsy. Because I can fall asleep at a moment's notice, okay? In fact, one of my friends was telling me his life story one time when I was over at his house and he started crying, and he said he looked over, telling me about all of his hurts, and I was asleep in a chair sitting like this. <laughs> he has never let that down, right? So I have an issue. Like, I could fall asleep here with these lights on and all of you here. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, if I'm tired, I'm going to sleep, right? So we're driving home, and it's at night. It's late. We're going to Minnesota, and we're right around where the Wisconsin Dells are. And Abby says that we're having a conversation and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as I'm driving, eyes wide open, I go, I don't know, I guess my dad just likes building things. And she's like, what? She's like, are you asleep right now? And I was like, yeah. I was literally asleep at the wheel as she was talking to me. I just, and all of a sudden, I just said, my dad likes building things. I guess that's true, but who knows what I was thinking about in that moment. So she goes, pull over. So we pull over. We get off the next exit. We pull into a McDonald's because we're going to get some coffee. We're going to get some food off the dollar menu because we were missionaries. And we're going to get that. And then we're going to go back on the road. She says, I'm going to drive. You're a liability. I'm going to drive. So she's pulling out of the McDonald's. And there's like a weird frontage street here. Okay. And there's a stop sign. There's no need for there to be a stop sign here, but there is. Right. So she rolls the stop sign. And then turns onto the little fronted street and, and, and tries to get out into I-94. Well, all of a sudden, whoa, did you turn this up? I think I'm a little hot. Am I a little loud or no? A little bit? I want to take this down just a little bit on the speaker, on the fader. Thank you. So all of a sudden she turns, right? Maybe I'm just excited about this story. Who knows? All of a sudden she turns and then we hear whoop, whoop. And then sure enough, here comes Mr. Old Police Officer, State Trooper, and so he pulls us over and he says, you know, there's a stop sign there. And we were like, was there? And he goes, I have you on camera. We're like, we didn't blow the stop sign. He's like, if you want to fight it, you can, but here's your ticket. I mean, there was no conversation, nothing. I mean, he was giving us the ticket no matter what. So she is rattled from this little stop sign incident. Turns back into the gas station and says, you're driving. <laughs> so I get in the car and drive the rest of the way home. And she just kept pushing me in the shoulder because that's not the first time I fell asleep. Or nor was it the last time I fell asleep on that drive home, right? It was a crazy traveling story. And as difficult as that trip was, it was not nearly as difficult as the trip that the wise men took, if you'll allow me to make this connection, to go and see Jesus. Here's a little story about the wise men. When they went to go and see Jesus, it's one of the most famous journeys in the Bible. 
The wise men were not present at the manger when Jesus was there. They actually came several months later to see the child Messiah. They believe that Jesus was between the age of six months and 18 months old. Now, this journey was long. It was traveling from Babylon through the Crescent Royal Road, about 1,700 miles, which, for your perspective, is the distance between where we are now and Seattle, Washington. That's how far they traveled to see Jesus. That is forever, right? That is such a long time. Think about that. This was not little some short jaunt just to go over and see Jesus down the street. The road was difficult. It was long. It was grueling. They saw the star when Jesus was born, but they didn't get to him for about 6 to 18 months, give or take. They're on this journey of faith going to find Jesus. Unlike the shepherds that we talked about last week, they were just in a field in the same town. These wise men traveled very, very far. Very far. These wise men or magi were simply people who had studied astronomy, right? So they were educated, similar to their Persian scholars. Even though they were Jewish, think of them like the book of Daniel. You know, at the beginning of the book of Daniel, when you see Daniel's story, he's pulled out from all of the other Israelites because he's one of the gifted people. These people would have been very similar to that. They were trained very similar to how Daniel was trained, right? They were conquered people by the Babylonians, but they studied higher education. And the goal of the Babylonians in that time was to indoctrinate their brains so that they would become leaders in the Jewish faith and they would lead people away from God, but into the ways of the Babylonian Syrian people. That was their goal, but it didn't work. They had a breadth of knowledge accompanying science, astronomy, religion, economics, and literature. So when they see this star in the east, immediately they know what it means, and they begin to follow it because of their training. Now, they have several different things, and this is really interesting. There are several different ways about when you see the star. We always think of it as like a star in the night, but the origin of the star, we don't really know exactly what it looked like. Here's what a few scholars said. Some say it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Others say that there was planetary conjunctions. Others suggest it was a supernova. Some think it was comets. Or whatever it was, but all we know, it was a sign that they understood to go and to find Jesus. Whatever it was, it was significant enough for them to see it and to go and find Jesus. And what is really cool is God guided them by a star. He guided them from something that they learned in astronomy. And I don't want you to miss this. God took something that they learned in captivity And used it to reveal the greatness of his story. He took something that they learned while they were slaves. While they were in captivity. While they were being indoctrinated. While they were being trained to lead away from God. And that's the very thing that he used to pull them to himself. Now God still does this all the time. I firmly believe this. God takes these difficult seasons and he uses them for good. Maybe sometimes we're aware of them or sometimes we're unconscious to the reality of what's happening in this difficult season. But for these wise men, he sent a star, something that they learned in captivity, and he used it to reveal the freedom for not only them, but the entire people of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah. I think sometimes we can look at our life and we can think, 
man, this is a difficult season. Have you ever thought about your life like that? This is a difficult season. This is a hard time. This is a hardship. My health is bad. My marriage is bad. My family is bad. My job is bad. The economy is bad, right? We can think all of these difficult hardship things. And I don't know about you, but have you ever said to yourself, God, you can't teach me anything from this. Or maybe if I'm honest, there's been things where I'm told, God, I don't need to learn anything from this. This just stinks. This is just not fun. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to think about it. Good thing for me, I'm not in control, but God is. Not to mention he sees the bigger picture. He realizes that the things that I'm going through in these difficult seasons, he can use them for his glory in the long run. So if you're in the room this morning and you've been through difficult seasons, the type of seasons in your life that you think back on them and just shake your head, you think back on them and just think, ah, just wait. You don't know what God can use that season for. He might do something great. He might do. Now, it also might just be something really hard. So I'm going to give that caveat. I'm not going to just paint this beautiful picture of, hey, if you've ever gone through something hard, God's for sure going to use that because we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world where things break, where things hurt, where bad things happen all of the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a setup. I've heard that preached before, and maybe I've even said that before. This failure is a setup for a future. I mean, it might be, or it might just be a bad day. Either way, I think God can use it. My appeal to you this morning is don't put parameters around God. Don't put parameters around who he is, around the seasons of which he's living and the things that are happening. This is actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that these men would have been very familiar with. Let's read it together in Numbers 24, starting in verse 17. It says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break all the sons of Sheath. This was widely regarded by the ancient Jewish scholars as a messianic prediction. The star is not only Jesus himself, but the star leads them to Jesus. It did this very much by moving them in the same direction. But as we read, there's something very interesting about the wise men's story, is they did not go directly to Bethlehem, even though that's where the story and the star was leading them. They did not go directly to Bethlehem. In fact, they went somewhere else. They went to Jerusalem. You saw it when they walked in the first couple verses. It says they saw the star in the east, and they went, and where did they go? They went directly to King Herod. They went to Jerusalem, and they went directly to King Herod. And these men must have been important because they were so important that they found a reality of Jesus. They were so important that they got to have an audience with King Herod. One scholar said this, The wise men first came to Jerusalem, assuming that the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of their Messiah. These wise men are about to find out that that isn't the case at all. Right? They have this audience with Herod. Their expectation is everyone's going to be excited that Jesus is here. But that isn't the case. So what did they do? They quoted Micah 5.2. 
It's in verse 6. We'll read it again. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you come a ruler who will shepherd my people of Israel. See, the chief priests understood that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Distinguished from another town of Bethlehem that would have been a little bit to the north of it. But the Bethlehem in Judea would have been where Jesus was born. They would have known this. They would have seen this. This was not a secret. The star in the air and the skies and the angels singing his praises. There is not a secret that's happening. There's a whisper of a savior, but God is not hiding it. Look throughout the scriptures that these scribes and Pharisees were trained to read. They would have seen the reality just as the wise men did. Maybe they saw it, but they just didn't care. Maybe they saw it, and they didn't want to believe it. Maybe these scribes and Pharisees, they saw it, but they didn't want things to change because they kind of liked the power that they had under Herod. So they just chose to ignore it. But isn't it interesting, all of these years, these scribes and Pharisees, their job was to preach Their job was to teach the Old Testament to the people. And yet they missed it. Hoping and praying for the Messiah, the people were constantly believing. He's here, he's here, he's here. And now they're uninterested. Think about this. If these wise men would have met the shepherds that we talked about last week, they would have had a better picture and a better understanding of Jesus Then they met the Pharisees and scribes who spent their whole life studying him. They would have met the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, the shepherds, the people that said are losers, the people that they don't want to talk to, get out in the field, the sheep, don't be around us. They had a greater understanding of who Jesus was than the people who spent their entire life studying him. The reality is it truly doesn't matter how much you know about God if the knowledge you have of God doesn't lead you to worship him. It does not matter how much you know about God. If you read this book, attending this church, singing these songs, doing all that we do, but it never changes your soul, there is no point. And Herod, he's beside himself at the thought of another king coming into the picture. Right? In fact, he goes and sends a decree that later all of the boys under the age of two, two and under, shall be killed. Right? He does this ruthless, brutal, detestable act in order to thwart Jesus from his throne. And as I was kind of writing this message, I started thinking about that, the reality of it. I don't think we understand the reality and the depravity that was fighting against Jesus when he was at his most vulnerable. I can't even imagine the pictures of, the, of soldiers marching into these people's houses and, and murdering their two-year-old children and under. Because they did not want to allow Jesus to come. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. This is interesting. I think we got it on the screen. The trouble is, again, the testimony of the greatness of Jesus, even as a young child. Jesus of Nazareth is so potent a factor in the world of mind that no sooner is he there in his utmost weakest, a newborn king, than he begins to reign. Before he mounts the throne, friends bring his presence and enemies compass his death. 
Jesus is so great that as soon as he's born, Herod starts trying to figure out, how can I kill him? How can I get rid of him? So Jesus tends to stir things up in people. For the wise men, it brought them to worship. They left their city. They traveled a long way to worship a baby. That's the type of faith and expectation that they had. For Herod, it brought him anger and fear and ultimately murder. He was fearful of another king taking over his throne. For the Pharisees and scribes of the law, it brought them apathy. They didn't care about Jesus and his arrival, so they just kept moving on with their lives. If you had to put yourself in one of those three categories, which one do you think you would put yourself in? Would you put yourself in, when I see Jesus, I want to come and worship him? Would you put yourself in the apathy category where it's kind of like, I'm cool with how things are, I don't really, it is what it is? Or would you put yourself in maybe the anger? And maybe it's not outwardly anger the way that Herod had his outward anger. But maybe it's just subtle bitterness that things didn't go the way that you thought they should. That things are going to change or things didn't change. So you have this anger underneath you when you see Jesus inside of you. Can I tell you what my fear of the church in America is that we are the scribes and the Pharisees in this story? That we come to church and that we are apathetic towards the reality of who Jesus is. Because we don't see or we don't know, we just don't care. Because listen, it's not like these scribes and Pharisees stopped going to synagogue the moment that Jesus was born. They didn't. It's not like they stopped with the status quo. They didn't stop teaching. They didn't stop doing all the things that they were doing. They just kind of kept on what they were doing. Meanwhile, the reality of who he was was here, but they did not yet believe it. Even when he was in their face, even during his public ministry, they did not believe it. When they were trying to kill him, they did not believe it. It was only after his ultimate sacrifice. I mean, this job was to trust and tell people, and you were entrusted with teaching people about who Jesus is. That's the job of us as a church in America. I was thinking about this when I used to think about ministry a long time ago when I was first starting about 11 years ago. I thought, man, I want to do this. I want to start. I want to have a big church. I want to grow it. I want to get do great things in the community. We're going to do all of this great stuff. And none of that stuff is wrong. But I was focused on really little things. Like, I would always think about this. This is so funny to think about. I would always think about, okay, what's my, like, tweetable moment? Seriously, how sad is that? I would think about, like, what's the thing, the one little, maybe I can come up with a cool phrase. You know what I mean? That everyone can stick and remember. And not that any of that's wrong. There's some of that that's worked in homiletics and, and hermeneutics and preaching the Bible. There's some of that that's in there. But I used to think that's what it was all about. I'd try to build to get to that cool moment. And now I think to myself, I'm so much more concerned about if you know Jesus in the scriptures than if you know a cool thing that I said. And I felt convicted to pray before every sermon, and I try to do it every single week. I was listening to a pastor preach one time, and he said this many years ago, so I started to copy it, that when I pray before the message, I pray, Lord, that if there is anything from me, I pray that it would be quickly forgotten, but things that are from you would be forever remembered. But 
is that truly my heart? How, how, sometimes don't, doesn't, don't we just get in the way? I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes I just get in the way of what God's trying to do. Maybe because of my fear, maybe because of my insecurity, maybe because of my frustration. But I just sometimes get in the way. I don't want to be apathetic towards God. I don't want to get in the way. I do not want to let the busyness and the distractions of my life overcome the reality that Jesus has come. So much so that he's here and I just ignore him. How often do we do that? He's here, but we just ignore him. We don't have to wait for the king to come. He's already here. He's already come. He's already died, and he rose again three days later, and he lives inside of you. That's the reality of who he is. But what we do need to do is get to work before he comes back. So the wise men leave Herod. And they go to find Jesus following the star in the east. And the star appeared, again, specifically to guide them. One theologian, Adam Clark, says this. This is more literally that the star stood over the head of the child. This is how he described it. In his thinking, it was some kind of meteor that guided the wise men to the very house Jesus was. And he goes on to say that this idea of a star-like shine on Jesus and his house is associated with the head of Jesus that gave rise to the idea of the halo in the ancient medieval art. He believes the reason that there's a halo in the ancient medieval art when you look at baby Jesus is because this meteor was over the house of Jesus shining a light so bright that it looked like a halo over his head. This star acted as the first GPS, the first ways, the first Apple Maps to Jesus. Let's read the interaction one more time, Matthew 2.11. And they were going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Again, I think this is a verse that we just kind of skip over sometimes. These are grown men, smart men. These are Ivy League scholars going and worshipping an almost two-year-old. Think about that. What if we just brought an 18-month-old baby here and said, let's all bow down to him? It would be ridiculous, right? We'd be like, this is crazy, right? That's the reality of who he is. Jesus, as a baby, was so incredibly beautiful. He was so divine that the sight of him, they fell to worship. They fell to worship him. He's God with skin on, even as a baby. His divinity was all around him, even though he shed that off for his humanity so that he could relate to us. What I think is so crazy is that Jesus is there and they bring him these gifts, this gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? They bring him these monetary gifts, but he's just a kid. He can't spend any of that, right? He can't do anything with that. So they gave the gifts, not they were for Jesus, right? But they gave them to who? Mary and Joseph. And the charge that they gave to Mary and Joseph is spend these gifts wisely so that you can provide for the Savior, so that you can provide for Jesus. Just to shoot off a little bit here, that's what tithing is, especially to the church. When we bring our tithe to the church and we give, we're giving 
to the church because we can't formally give to Jesus here in person. And the charge of the church is that they would use the monies that we give wisely for the cause of the Savior. And I was talking with someone about this, and they say they're, they're a Christian, and they, they're like, but you know what, I'll never give to the church again. And I said, okay, why? And they're like, because you just don't know the people in the church. You don't know what's happening in the church. But these wise men didn't know how Mary and Joseph were going to spend it. Mary was 13 years old, right? Like, what if Shopify was happening back then? You know what I mean? Like, what if she just jumped on the internet and was like, whoop? I'm saying they, they didn't know what was going to happen. The gift was not for the people, it was for the king. So when I come and, and I come to present my offering to the Lord, the church is playing a part in it, but it is for the king. It's for the king. And the reality is, is when I give, if it were not to this church, if it were to another church, it would not matter. The reality is, is that I'm giving to Jesus. That I've come to bow before the king and offer an offering to him. My question for you this morning is simple. The wise men traveled all this time. They went through Herod. They followed the star. They, they had all these hardships. They came to worship Jesus. These intelligent people came to worship and follow him. What will you do with the king? What will you do with Jesus? How will you worship him? How will you trust him? What will be your attitude toward him? Will it be worship? Will it be apathy? Will it be anger? What will it be? I want to end with this encouragement. If I could have someone come up to the keys. I want to end with this encouragement from Peter in his letter that he wrote to the elect resident aliens in Asia Minor. So 1 Peter, starting in verse 4, he was writing this encouragement to them about how they should act. We see how the wise men acted towards the newborn king. So how are we supposed to act as Christians? Let's read this. In the end, the end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Let me just pause right there. Right, the end is near. Be alert and sober mind so that you may pray. This was written thousands of years ago. And he's telling the church that the end is near so any time wasted on trying to figure out the day the hour and the moment when Jesus has come back is a moment that you're not spending praying about what he can do now it is a waste of time 100% what can I do God what do you want me to do now what do you want me to do now what do you want me to do now what can I do today what can I do tomorrow we're not worried about whether you're coming back but I'm going to be sober-minded I'm going to be prayerful about who you are above all Above all, love each other deeply because what does love do? It covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality, hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's difficult. Each one of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks from the very words of God. Meaning that if you're saying something and you're talking about God and you're talking to the people of God, it's serious. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
this is the way the church is supposed to act. We're supposed to love all because love does what? It covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of hurts. Maybe we need to become more open with our love and our care. Man, we live in the Midwest. I love all of you, but we can become more open with our love and our care for one another. We really can. I truly do love you, but we can. In, in, in this Midwest, we talk great about people behind their back, and we talk terrible, sarcastic to them to their face. It is the reality of the culture of which we live in, and I'm beginning to think more and more that that is not of God. I'm actually wondering, not to be super spiritual pastory weirdo on you, but I'm actually wondering what that produces in our kids, what that produces in ourselves. What if we just chose to love because love covers a multitude of sins? What if we chose to serve as if God was here? What if we chose to speak as if we were actually talking for him? What if we offered hospitality to the people who need hospitality, to the people that are begging around or the people that need something in this Christmas season without grumbling? I know that's hard for me. I don't want to give up my stuff. I don't want to give up my time. But wait, that's what we're called to. Why? So that the glory can go to Jesus in his name forever and ever. Amen. That is why we exist, so that Jesus gets the glory, so that he gets the praise, so that when we come and we find him in a manger, or he comes back, that he can see us praising him, that he can see us lifting him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you that you sent the wise men on that 17 hundred mile journey just to teach us a lesson of the value of coming to worship and the value of not being apathetic towards you but being all in bowing down and worshiping you with everything we have God I pray this morning I pray this morning that we would come to realize that we can trust you that you are good that you are here Father, I pray that you would change our hearts and change our minds. If there's anything in this verse, this charge, maybe it's hospitality, maybe it's love, maybe it's forgiveness, maybe it's severity and the reality of the gospel. If there's any of those things that we need to trust in and do more, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would show us so that we can come to find you and love you more. We love you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.